Welcome back to Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Ryan, and that's Matt. Matt, sleep like a pillow, downward, and where? She won't care. Anyway, where? (laughs) Ryan, close my eyes. Feel me now. I don't see how you could not love me now. And I, we are not alone on this call. We have Rachel. Rachel. Hello. <laughs> Guys, if you could not put it together between the cryptic lyrics and the screeching squalls of feedback, we are discussing My Bloody Valentine's seminal 1991 album, Loveless. Um, and so, you know, we are in 1991, and we're going to be in 1991 for a while uh, now because we're celebrating a number of albums that are, are turning 25 this year. Um, and we've done some big ones already, and there's a few more big ones to come. We've covered uh, Metallica's Metallica, the Black Album. We've covered uh, Last Week in My Absence, um, Pearl Jam's 10. But now we're kind of going um, way off of the, the kind of top of the charts, off of the MTV list, to an album that at the time um, was not really even among a pure album of a lot of these other heavy hitters, these kind of pop and alternative chart heavy hitters, and something that was kind of very resolutely indie and underground, um, but then which has become a a major album, right? And kind of a major um, touchstone um, for contemporary indie music um, as well as I think um, we'll discuss actually a lot of the kind of alternative music of the later 90s. So um, this is an album uh, that is... You know, on the one hand, you may not know uh, from you know kind of uh, MTV, but you probably encountered it at some po- point. And I think it was for me in kind of college and grad school as I started kind of going back into the indie antecedents. Uh, this was a this was a record that kind of got put on my shelf um, and that I was you know happy to revisit this week. Uh, and it's it's funny because I wouldn't have associated this as a kind of late summer album, but it's actually been a great kind of late summer album it's been a great album for uh uh, the sunshine for walking around in the sunshine right you don't really think my bloody valentine classic sunshine music you know this (laughs) i this i uh irish uh band known for their guitar feedback uh and squalls of noise and buried vocals um but it was that uh and so i definitely if you uh recommend uh putting it on uh queuing it up and going for a walk going for a walk or go for uh matt you listen to this while driving yeah I turned it up. Re- I turned it up really, really loud, and it actually had that. I don't have a convertible, but I actually could see, like, I could, I can see cinematically. You know, um, uh, putting the top down, cranking this really loud, and driving up the coast as the sun sets over the, you know, over the west coast. Right, like this definitely has that. It has a kind of. Um, like Chris, it has like a kind of twilight sort of feel, and it definitely has a feel of being kind of cut loose or unmoored or or kind of in transit, uh, kind of floating between places, right? Absolutely, and it is. I, I like that you turned it up loud. It's like almost like you could turn your uh, car into a convertible with this music, right? Just by <laughs> blowing, just blowing the roof off uh, with uh, when it, if it gets kind of loud enough and and amped up enough. Um, so yeah, I think this is definitely that music for being out of doors. Um, and that was like a surprise that I happened to just discover as I was uh, listening. And I think uh, Matt did as well. So um, definitely put it on and move around, go somewhere, uh, whether it's on public transit on foot um on a bike um uh, follow your appropriate uh traffic laws for your municipality uh with the uh, for for riding bicycles or other motor vehicles uh with with headphones on uh and and whichever way move around while listening to loveless um and then meet us back here to dive into this album after this word from our commercial sponsors is your valentine more bloody than lovely Ugh, it's, it's just a mess. Just, have, just blood everywhere. Have you tried writing a song for your sweetheart and it just sounds stupid? Yeah, all I can rhyme love with is dove. <laughs> yeah, that is stupid. Well, why don't you try reverb? Just put a bunch of reverb on everything you record and it will sound profound. Oh, my God. I would do you if you sounded like that. I don't feel lonely. Wow, 
I'm so emotionally affected by that, but I have no idea what you said. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I don't know. What? Yes, sure. <laughs> Reverb. Keeping couples from communicating and keeping them happy since 1991. And we're back. <laughs> yeah, there is just there is just so much reverb, right? Um, I guess I I you know I, I I gave a pause, and there are no seeing that there are no questions on the table. Um, I'm going to just jump right in, um, and and this is this is open to the floor to to either of you, uh, Matt or Rachel. Um, you know this. This my bloody Valentine with with their reverb with their with their tremolo guitars um, with their their indecipherable vocals and their squalls of of feedback and sound are they an experimental noise collective? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to say that the answer is a qualified yes um, because I feel like they are to a certain extent experimental. Like in some of the the supporting material uh, that we're gonna attach to the show notes of this episode, some kind of retrospectives on the process of recording this album. One from an engineer uh, who who worked on it. Um, apparently, there was just a ton of uh, ton of experimentation going on from from uh kevin shields especially um like trying out new sounds and it's one of the reasons that the recording process of of the the record was so prolonged it definitely has noise um the thing i'm not sure about is the collective part right i'm I'm not sure if this isn't really Kevin Shields' yeah. sort of magnum opus, rather than being like a, you know, rather than being a, a sort of jammier band. I mean, because this could have gone another another way, right? Like, is this uh, 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 the, this My Bloody Valentine? Are they a jam band or uh, My Bloody Valentine? Is this dream pop or you know? I was gonna the other one um, that I think we will get into is are they gazing at their shoes? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I think the, and that answer is a qualified no, actually, um, uh, because I think that they are actually gazing at the clouds uh, much more than at their shoes. Right? That, that when you hear shoegaze, um, and this is you know de- de- described as an antecedent to this genre um, that we've that we've touched on with a few different bands, right? Of of this kind of reverb soaked music, but that you associate that much more as more downer music, right? That the um, term uh was developed as a derogatory term for bands that were kind of playing heads heads dropped in kind of focus and kind of withdrawnness um and and you would imagine kind of like reverb but kind of with a more of a morrissey energy or something that's kind of an a a, a jammier or more drawn out um descendant of like jesus and mary chain and you feel like that this is has like um you know like you were saying matt like this more outwardly projected energy like it's much kind of spacier and airier um that you would think i think especially because of like the register of the vo- vocals right that there are yeah. these kind of little uh, well, kind of high vocals right? yeah there's kind of an androgyny to the vocals yeah. which is an interesting thing and the fact that like the fact that it's sometimes uh uh uh, who's the Debbie Goog is the Googe is the um, uh, the guitarist and and uh, Belinda Butcher the the bassist I th- I think someone correct me if I'm wrong on that but the um, oh no the other way around uh, Belinda Butcher uh, played guitar and sang and Debbie Googe uh was uh was the bassist and so, so that sometimes uh sometimes it's her and sometimes it's kevin shields right and you can't like at first blush you can tell i'm not saying you can't tell but at first blush it's a little more similar than it is than it is different because you know uh uh the female voice in the low register and the male voice in the high register kind of meets at that like that that sunny and share tessitura there where uh you know where it's it's kind of medium where a lot of it is is just kind of medium but with these i I like the idea of sort of uh the the dream pop bands or the kind of the the dreamier aspects of rock of uh rock bands that we've talked about like that what what um the, the it's interesting because we seem to have associated them with specific geographic locations right like when we did uh uh when we did 
Leetmeister's Heartstrings, um, that that indiest of indie uh, indie rockers, Leetmeister. Uh, it was Heartstrings was sort of the the fog drenched hills of of San Francisco. Maybe that's just because where it's where I was at the time, but uh, I associate it with that. Beach House was like the Beach House is on the Cape, right? Like it's it's on the shore somewhere on the Eastern Seaboard, and and this like uh, this. You know, it's it is a car driving along uh, at sunset. It's sort of melancholy and and sort of unmoored, and uh, has a has a sort of romance of the uh, romance of the untethered of the open road, almost a kind of like beatnik uh, sort of on the road type romance. Um, so where the uh, where the uh, where the music is set, like the kind of the landscape. Um, that the music evokes, and I feel like I have to turn to metaphors of landscape uh, to account for how I how it makes me feel and kind of the reaction that I have to it. I have to turn to sort of non semiotic uh, types of types of images um, in order to do justice to how um, how the music uh, how the music affects me. You know what I mean? No, absolutely, and I think that's in part because. It moves to a pretty, even though there are like lots of lyrics, um, that it moves, to, it, it operates on a very nonverbal level, right? Uh, and, and I debated even choosing any lyrics at all because it's, you know, just as there are the, the male and female vocals kind of meet in the middle and blur together. So just do the vocal tracks and the instrumental tracks and all of the instrumentals, right? That there is also a sense of kind of, um, finger painting, right? And so there's a kind of finger painted landscape or a kind of impressionistic landscape, um, um, so it's kind of, you know, it's, it's driving in a convertible with Monet, right? Um, and, and I guess it's interesting that because like there is a certain sense of when you're going fast in a car, um, and you're kind of looking out the window, um, that, that you kind of get a certain amount of landscape blur, right? Um, and, and rather than fixating on anyone still, um, seeing that there is kind of the blur of, uh, of trees and houses passing by. And and that you kind of get that that sense of a, a smear. Rachel, do you have you have I, I, you moved to the ready? Um, oh yeah, no. I mean, I I agree that it works at this sort of. It, it's it's not something. It it's interesting because I think I, I mean maybe we'll talk about this later. But it's you know I think what's interesting because of that kind of buried vocals into the music and the way they are. It's sort of a one like indistinguishable mass of sound. It's interesting to me that um, I feel like the, the, the sound of this um, and Ryan, you kind of hinted at this, at this idea that it, like it, it went on to influence so many other bands. I just think it's interesting that it seems like that the way to make this sound commercial is to just m- like make the vocals higher on the mix. Yeah. Right. And like, that's the key difference between something being like a pop song and this. Yeah, just dr- like uh, like uh, erase out Kevin Shields and drop in a Billy Corgan, and there you go. <laughs> right, right. And like, can I hear Billy Corgan and what do you say? Good. Okay. Done. It's a single. <laughs> We're on the radio, right? It's 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 like a pop single, and uh, we can sing along. Yeah, absolutely. I and I mean, I think that the other kind of thing that, but then in. Other than just kind of what it influenced, I also think the other place where there is poppiness in in the influence um, is also that the other thing that it reminds me of, and this actually gets back to the Matt's answer to the question about it being kind of more of an experimental noise singularity rather than an uh, <laughs> you know, an experimental noise collective, is that the other um, album that we t- that we've talked about that is like that in in terms of process and kind of in some of the the effect and influence is Pet Sound. Right. That, that, yeah. um, and that there's, you have a sense that it's a very similar kind of studio driven, you know, the studio as the canvas, um, for this kind of, for this vision. Um, and so it's like, uh, it's, and I was, as I was thinking about this, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like pet sounds. If you like, kind of like put all of your, like, uh, you know, all of your pets in a blanket, right. And, 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 and there's just like the kind of muffled meowing, you know, 
meow, 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 meow. Um, and that, that those are the sounds that, the, the, that the, your pets are making sounds, but you're not sure which sounds belong to which pets. <laughs> um, and, and I, I just, I feel like it's in that lineage, just in some of the, uh, the singing and kind of harmonic styles, but it, it but it's playing with the, um, the, the kind of way the, Ways the sounds interact with the measure with a different way that then kind of relates to what the kind of overall artistic project is and how it. it it's interesting because this, you know, I, I think to me, this album was kind of revelatory. It's kind of not unlike the way I felt when I first listened to, to Wu Tang and I'm like, Oh, this is where all of that other stuff came from. Or like, this is what, you know, it was kind of like, I felt like there was kind of a, this click or like a missing piece of the puzzle, particularly because I, I was such a fan of garbage, the band garbage, which was a, you know, produced as distinct from the the phenomenon of, of trash. Of trash, right. exactly. Yeah. Just, I just want to be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just waste, be clear. I don't, waste I don't collection. Like it. Right. That's right, because I'm actually a fan of physical garbage. Uh, I've, I've actually built quite a lot of my career on it. Well, that's why I have to make it. I, that's why I have to clarify. That's no, that's no way to describe the quality of your scholarship, Ryan. That's that's just ungenerous. What I'm saying is I'm the Butch Vigo of, of political science. <laughs> well, there you go. It's, you know, like the that sound. Um, and when I, I just I listened to this and I'm and I was just shocked by how much I'm like, oh, Butch Vig just ripped this off like whole whole hog. This is what garbage was like meant to sound like. It was meant to sound like this, except I can hear Shirley Manson. So I know that she's only happy when it rains, whereas I really don't know what Belinda Butcher is saying. Right. She may be happy whenever. I don't know. Or never. Or never. But at least I know that Shirley Manson's happy when it rains. Right. Like because I can hear her. Yeah, it is interesting. And it, it's interesting though, that we kind of, you know, Butch Vig, we'll talk about Butch Vig very soon because he, you know, fa- famously produced Nevermind, which is, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Nirvana's Nevermind very soon, uh, when it, when it turns 25, uh, later in September. Um, and, but that I think that the kind of even bigger heyday of, um, Butch Vig's, uh, influence comes post Nevermind. Um, and kind of Nevermind is, is kind of an outlier. There's less of a good match between band and kind of um and and the kind of producer uh on on that album and there was kind of notoriously conflicts there whereas his later projects of um you know his production work with smashing pumpkins um and uh his own work in in as a musician and producer in garbage does hew a lot closer to this and as a result is like and this is what i was i was saying earlier is that this sounds a lot more like later parts in of the 90s like 94 than it does like 91 mm-hmm. right um and it's funny that also sounds also weirdly more like the 80s like i actually if you had before kind of um p- pitting this if you had asked me to uh, when um this album was out i would have actually guessed like 1988 or 1989 like closer to the beginning of this historical period uh that we're in right now rather than this year right so that it it like it seems like it exists uh on either side of where it actually is um and it, it's and it has kin is more of a kinship with either like you know weirdly like pretty hate machine or um daydream nation on the ed side um or with um or with these other kind of um the kind of butch vig alternative um then with um your kind of the 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 slightly kind of meteor I mean, it is interesting because this is guitar music, but it seems like different, a different kind of guitar music kind of fundamentally from how people are playing guitars and singing over them in, in the rest of 1991, right? Like, I mean, this must have been a little bit of a whiplash coming off of Pearl Jam and, and Metallica before that, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I like what the, um, yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, God, I want to go in a couple different directions because I think it does, uh, it does sort of reach backward and forward through time rather than, than being of the moment. I mean, I kind of want to talk about garbage. I want to talk about Jesus and Mary Chain, uh, a little bit as well, right? Uh, because the, 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 the narrative that I want to, um, 
kind of explore and see if see if there's something to this or maybe it's too simplistic is a, a sort of is a popularizing narrative right uh it happened with pretty hate machine and industrial music where trent reznor manages to just kind of popify uh industrial music just enough right that it can really hit big and it happens also with it happens with um you know, Metallica and, and, uh, hard rock. Uh, and it happens later on in the nineties with garbage, right. And, and this kind of music. And so if you have like, if you have sort of noise rock going from, uh, Jesus Mary chain to, uh, my bloody Valentine to garbage, right. Finally, like in that sort of super group, right. That, that, that sort of butch vig brainchild super group in garbage, um, it you finally have the the this strain sort of coming to fruition in a way that um may uh was able to make it make it popular and i loved that first garbage album uh when it came out it was extraordinarily well constructed it was very easy to sink my teeth into when I, and you know i still like it i mean no shame in my game like the fact that it was popular doesn't make it bad uh but um the uh uh the uh, sound is a lot more user friendly, right? Like those Shirley Manson vocals are mixed a lot higher than the vocals yeah. on this record, right? Like the the just even just that the first riff on the garbage record, and you know what? I shouldn't say too much because we may cover it in in subsequent. We almost his- certainly will. So. Yeah, <laughs> subsequent <laughs> historical quarters. But just like I, I feel like that the break, the instrumental break um, in the second measure of the. Of the you know first instrumental on um, what is that song called? Bow down to me. The opening track of of the first garbage album, right? Like that uh, that break is like a statement of purpose. Like this is tight. This is engineered. This is constructed. There's not reverb. All of our instruments cut off together, right? Like that. That's a that is a that is a kind of sonic uh, sonic manifesto. And here, yeah, here it's a little more. It's a little more. Um, uh, Brian Wilsony or little little like I feel like John Vanderslice is maybe an an uh, heir to this sort of sonic uh, to this sort of sonic manipulation and this kind of like sound based um, sound based finger painting right like auditory auditory finger painting finger in the ear painting um, in terms of just like tweaking every single sound and making it absolutely perfect uh, and then adding adding the things up together. In into this wall of sound, into this sort of glass block, Vaseline smeared wall of sound that you then pour molasses down and shine shine lights through it, so that they're they're like reflect refracted uh, through this translucent through this translucent mass. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting though because I, I you, that bow down in me that song you just referenced. I mean, it, to me, it's like the difference though there is is that it's the same wall of sound, but I like your vaseline metaphor is like that that track in particular it's like the vaseline removed right but the wall of sound is still there um in like that particular garbage track and i know exactly the one you're talking about because every time i've listened to this my bloody valentine album i wanted to play that track (laughs) 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 because it reminds me so much of that song um and like this the overall kind of wall of sound feeling i mean it it is interesting because you know we talked about the kind of opening moment of that um garbage album and i know that um all week when i was playing this uh album in the house uh on on the on this on the speakers here rachel you you had like a strong reaction the first several times i played this right that like can you kind of describe your experience of hearing the kind of opening strains um of of loveless kind of pumping through the speakers well i think it has a lot to do with the fact that i was such a garbage super fan when i was you know 13 12 It, it was like being transported back to like an adolescence i didn't know i had I don't know how to explain that, but like I felt like I was transported back to like uh, that those feelings. So just even so, that's so. Whenever this came on, it kind of it it it's it, it triggered the garbage part of your brain. It did. <laughs> it triggered that, and yet it, it was you, totally right, new and alien to me. If you were in an fMRI, right, the 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 pattern that lit up in your brain is it would look like pink feathers or something like that, right? <laughs> it 
exactly. It would look like pink feathers. And I think that's why my mind was so blown, uh, just because I, I, I did not, you know, I think I just, I had a total, you know, and this is my ignorance. I had a totally, I was, I had a complete misconception of what shoegaze was and that this was what it sounded like. But you said you told me, well, shoegaze sounds like this. And then I'm like, oh, well, that sounds like that Butch Big band I like. <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm, I'm really into shoegaze. I like especially how energetic it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, I mean, look, you can shoegaze while doing parkour. You know, you just, just focus very intently on your shoes as you jump off of, as you careen off of walls. Or, I think I thought shoegaze was like akin to like, sonic mumblecore like which i you know and like uh, some like something like bell and sit back i don't know like something more uh, more but i guess that's twee i don't know i think i just had i confused all these genres i mean i i don't know how you could because all of the terms are so meaningful <laughs> like uh like no rachel that's not chill wave it's c-punk like yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, chill wave famously um, being no, chill wave famously being made up, right? To, to uh, describe a, a genre of electronic music that is, you know, doesn't actually exist outside of the lobby of W hotels. Well, yeah, that is. It is interesting to think about these descriptors that, like, especially the kind of descriptors that start as kind of insults, uh, and then and that, so no one really wants them, right? Emo is another one that we've talked about a lot. Um, even you know, grunge and alternative to a certain extent. So it is. There is an extent where this is. I mean, the, my bloody Valentine is kind of is not necessarily a shoegaze band. They they kind of are the, I don't know, John the Shoegaze Baptist or something. Right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and 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 I, I but I don't know if Shoegaze Jesus ever came. No, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I I speak of the shoegaze artist who is to come after me. I am not worthy to to gaze at the strap of his sandal. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like I, one way you can distinguish this from the other 1991 bands is that I feel like the other ones are more oriented toward performance. I happened to see today uh, a video of Nirvana performing smells like teen spirit, like two days after, um, two days after Nevermind was released before they were a global phenomenon. Uh, I think Jason Kotke posted the video on his, on his blog. And, um, Man, they were, that was like, that club was packed. It was full of energy and clearly everyone was into the live show. Uh, Pearl Jam, same thing. And I mean, they came out of the, the Seattle scene as well, I guess, right? Like, and sort of, there's this sense in which it's a scene. You're playing for each other. It's organized around live events. Um, I was thinking about Loveless, uh, as being an album rather than a record, right? Like, cause it's not the record of any particular event. You know, it, it is a, it's more a work, you know, it's yeah. more a, it's more a, um, it's a studio album, right? It, mm-hmm. it's, a uh, uh, and, and th- though I know my bloody Valentine tours, they, yeah, they actually toured in the, the what, 2009 or something like that. And were very well received. Um, and, and played, played notoriously loud shows, right? Um, which is very interesting because this is, I mean, you know, I mean, this is another part of my loaded um, noise question. Is it, yes, there, it's not that there is, that they're a noise band. They're just a lots of sound band. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and so it is interesting that, that then it, it's very live, very loud. Cause like the music doesn't necessarily come across as, as loud as, as much as it is in having many sounds, right. Mm-hmm. When you listen to it. Um, uh, and, and that there is kind of, there are a lot of sounds that are smeared together. Um, but that, that doesn't necessarily come across as as kind of harsh or or um they're they're, they're soft sounds yeah somehow, right right and and there are a couple of things i mean that even sort of verge on the poppy but they're they're almost a defiantly uh 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 a defiantly unpleasant version of poppy and i'm thinking now of when you sleep and only i said like when you sleep has that kind of whistling high whistling hook that that comes in and it's a pop structure right like it's a it's a hook it's a thing that you return to that 
that gives sort of familiarity. It's just that it's so unpleasant. <laughs> you know, it's just that it's not, it doesn't, like, it doesn't provide release from tension. It it actually creates more tension, uh, even in the even in the familiarity. And in only I said, there's this sort of three against four rhythm that just is relentless. It, it sort of goes on uh, through the whole song. That like da na 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 thing that j- that just goes goes on and on and on forever. Again, like. Uh, uh, simple materials, diatonic harmonies, uh, repetitive structures. It's poppy, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's, re- it's relentlessly unpleasant. It's relentlessly, uh, uh, and, and actually I kind of like it, right? Like um, maybe unpleasant is not the right word. It is, uh, it is unconcerned with your satisfaction. Yeah, that's a good way. That's a, a good way to, um, to, to think of it well and it's also like and and it's also kind of because it is kind of constructed in the way that you say it's because like live shows are very concerned with your satisfaction like i'm writing this song i'm recording it but then i'm going to play it live and i want you to cheer for me right right and this is this is like the ultimate project the finished product is so divorced from the idea of performance that it that it can't be as as um you know, as, as connected to making someone dance or cheer or sing along, right? In that way, like, right? It's it's that way. It's more like making a painting, right? No one does a painting expecting for a, a mosh pit to break out, right? Um, and, and you know, expecting this or like for people to like look at the painting and go, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a hard time even imagining them live. I mean, you were saying that they were received well and had a nice well-received loud loud tour well but that was i mean yes but that's after it's already a classic album right Mm -hmm. so that it's you know that that is already it's like again though that's like kind of now like the midnight showing of a cult film right like it's like going to see like you know um, it's like a public screening uh, of of Point Break or by a, mm-hmm. Academy Award winner Catherine Bigelow, right? Um, right the, of a thing. I mean, Point Break's not maybe the best example because it is still kind of cheesy. Um, but like it, that, it, this is like an art film that has kind of uh, blown up, right? Um, like it's it's. I mean, I'm trying to think uh, of what the right what the right uh, parallel in kind of film would be, but I think it. Has that where yes, it was very well received, um, but I don't think the you know the My Bloody Valentine 1991 tour would have been received in quite the same way. Mm. And you know, it's I think it's a, talking about like the you know how this this seems to be like not made for performance. It ties back again to the pejorative term shoegaze, which I do think is an interesting term, right? I mean, we're talking about this being kind of like a it's not meant for performance. It's like an inherently kind of introspective project and introspective. Like the experience of listening to it is more introspective than like a public social thing. It should be called navel gaze, right? Right, which, right, which is navel gaze. But I guess like your shoes just a little farther than your navel, right? Um, but it's interesting because I think that the, the term comes from like that. It's taking what you guys are saying about like the kind of lack of like performance um, and seeing it as like this pejorative bad thing, right? Like, Oh, these people are tweaking with so many little knobs and buttons and, and like settings that they, they can't bother to like make us cheer for them. Right. And make us clap and and be, you know, engage with the act of like having an audience. Hmm. Uh, But you know, it's, and it's interesting. I, I do think, it does ask sort of like what you want in your music, right? right. Like, do you, is it something that you want? Cause it's very hard to really expect your music to both work at that level where you can play it very loud in your car and be enveloped by it. And then to also expect it to sort of like, 
like be personally and directly engaging with you like live when you, you know, watch it be performed. You know, I have a provocative hypothesis, which is that by, by the time they kind of reemerge, right? So that they, you know, my bloody Valentine records, um, Loveless in 1991 and then go, go full Salinger, right? Kevin Shields like becomes a recluse, um, does not really write a, a follow up, um, emerges a bit for some kind of, uh, solo work, some kind of soundtrack work, but there isn't a proper, um, that much proper, um, uh, reemergence of um, My Bloody Valentine until late 2009s when they start touring again. And I'd like to propose that what, once what, once uh, they return live and they're still kind of turning their knobs and making a lot of loud no- uh, loud noise in the late 2000s, that they are an EDM act by that time. <laughs> that, that their closest peers uh, uh, are in fact um, Skrillex and Diplo who also gaze down at their knobs making an ungodly wall of noise that people re- receive uh, uh, enthusiastically for reasons that are not entirely logic bound. <laughs> you know, and it's a kind of a similar audience experience. Like one thing I've never understood about like audiences for famous DJs is how they like all turn to face the DJ table. Because <laughs> there's nothing to see. It's like, what is there to see? <laughs> what is there to see? There's a computer. There's a man hunched over his computer. Yeah, right. There's an Apple logo. Or like if, you know, if it's a, a fancy thing, there's two Apple logos, right? Glowing side by side on the computer screens uh, up at the DJ stand. And and it really, it really bothers me, especially because like I am a short person. So like <laughs> the experience of being in a crowd is always like full of pitfalls. And so when there's like a sudden orientation of everyone in one direction for no discernible reason, it's, it's like, it's disorient. It doesn't, doesn't help my situation. Situation. Um, and I think, I think like this kind of music has like a similar kind of, right? Like, I think there is, I yeah, think there you, is, it's milling, it's milling about music. It's milling about music, like at least from like the live perspective, you know, and, and there's, you hear that kind of like the, like the, not only like the kind of backlash to that sort of thing, not only in like the sense of shoegaze was like a pejorative term, supposedly, but also even in like, I'm thinking of that dismemberment plan song about doing the standing still. Yeah. Right. And as that, as that is the, it's supposed to be a dance song for a non dancing dance, right? For, right. For people not dancing, who people are just like watching an act stoically. And it's, And to me, that sort of implies that, like, this, like, milling about attitude infected Hmm. indie rock in general, even for bands that were coming at the project with a much more performative uh, approach, right? And a much more, like, this is music suited um, for live theatrics and to engage with the audience, um, and, and yet this like kind of the milling, the, the, the shoegazing mentality is sort of like infected us all. Mm-hmm. Right. And as an audience and we approached everything as like, you know, we're like in our bedroom alone listening to this. I like, so the answer to the question turned down for what is to gaze at one's own shoes. Yes. To gaze at one's own shoes. <laughs> That's what, this is what we turned down for. Yeah, shoes yeah. are what we turned down for. But I, I bet there's like other instances of like 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 that dismemberment plan song, the pejorativeness of the term of like this is like a fundamental tension. I think right is like people who want the music in their bedroom, the bedroom music, and people who want like the dance music, and like not that like and, and I say that as like the extreme the extremes of a continuum um, that like roughly correlate to like. Music that is like sort of more meant for perform being performed, and music that is like a project and well, that, constructed. Right? Yeah. This I, this is something that we talk about from time to time, and I'm always very interested in it, right? Because you can kind of consider, you know, the the music on seek, right? Like there's like there's the music as an artifact that we're supposed to consider in itself, and then there's like the the music, the instrumental music, and by that I don't mean non vocal music. I mean the instrumental uses. Um, of uh of music to create a mood or to amp you up for a for a big uh for a big run like i'll say you know not to get too autobiographical uh but um i uh, ran a, a race this weekend and i got a race pace playlist from my bro ryan 
Uh, or I'm actually, pretty sure actually Rachel made that one. So. Rachel, oh, Rachel made that one. I was, okay, I was, so. I was merely the vessel uh, <laughs> for well, <Rachel's> playlist. <laughs> it's, a, it's a heterosexual love triangle, Ryan. You're you are just the interface through which Rachel and I can swap playlists and mixtapes and things. Like that. <laughs> I am. I am happy to be the playlist funnel. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. And like that was that was sort of crucial in like just the the beat of the music and also the um, I mean, I you know, as I as I was uh, about to give up, I heard all I do is win, win, win. And uh, and, you know, I got a new new breath. Of air, right. This is and, and also panda, 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 panda. <laughs> so this is the instrumental use of music, right? Like this is this is the instrumental benefit uh, of music, and like I I mean I can think of I mean bedroom music to me goes in two two uh, two directions right, and like they are they are more or less the sad Spotify playlist and the mood Spotify playlist. Well, right? if there are a flow chart, the, the the note on the flow chart is "Are you alone in the bedroom?" <laughs> right? right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a yeah, exactly. There's there are path the pet right there. There are two uh, arrows coming out of that box. It's a uh, what is that? A diamond, right? A decision, a decision, and a flowchart is a diamond, and and um, like you know, bedroom music is sort of like, well, how do you want to? How do you want to feel in your in your bedroom? And that like definitely get that. Um, uh, definitely for that, like sort of melancholy reflection. This is a perfect, uh, this is a perfect sort of thing. I mean, even almost headphone music a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is very, I mean, there is an absolute kind of, um, I mean, it's so interesting though, because there's an interiority there and yet it also sounded good in a car and, and, and created this kind of, um, convertible feeling, right? So that it's like, it sounds good in confinement and yet wants to escape, right? And that there's a sense of kind of breaking free, um, and, and kind of, uh, that, that if you want to contain it kind of within your head, um, but that it, it, it immediately wants to kind of externalize, um, somehow and, and kind of connect and, and spill over. Um, but, but I think that, that like you are the vessel that is overflowing, right? Um, and I don't know. I mean, maybe. Maybe I, I guess it's it's hard as we we discussed earlier to dive into any specific lyrics, but our, I know, but we did talk about kind of in much more kind of musical terms and in kind of more abstract terms of what certain songs sound like. But are there are there any other places to to drill down into kind of you know, specifics of sonics and or sonics textures or possibly lyrics? I mean, um, that kind of connect to what's going on here. I I have two just uh, that that just were the obvious ones that that jumped out at me. One is soon, which is to me the most Butch Viggy of the yeah. songs uh, on it, and it's because the kind of the upbeat drum beat, right? Like the the on the drum kit um, is uh, it's sort of at odds with the with the like the more syrupy textures in yeah. the other instruments, but it has that garbage. It has that garbage thing of like combining rock music with a, a much more Fancy or yeah. a much more I mean I I don't even know because it's not hip hoppy it's not like pop musicy it's like a it's like an up tempo rock d- drum beat with a with a dream rock a with a more shoegazy texture in the yeah in the other it, it, it reminds me of some other things that were going on in kind of UK. Um, pop music at the time, some of this kind of what is what was coming out of Manchester and kind of labeled as Madchester, right? Some of this like Stone Roses um, and and some other music that had some of these types of elements of of dance um, and with some of these kind of more um, uh, more ambient textures and kind of sonic textures uh, that it kind of connects to that or um, other kind of um, uh, band uh, bands from the UK like. Uh, primal scream that kind of are connecting to more of that uh, at other points in the late eighties and early nineties. Um, and so, and that, but that feels like more of a break and, and, and coming at the end of the album, it really is like, I don't know. It feels like something is ending and something else is beginning. Right. Um, or, or like, yeah, what, what do you make of this kind of transition and, and how does that kind of um, shape your reading of the album? Oh, I thought you were throwing that to Rachel. <laughs> it's open. <laughs> Rachel, how does that affect your reading of the album? 
<laughs> oh, Nate is being thrown back at me. <laughs> I was being thrown at Matt. <laughs> Ryan, what was the answer you were looking for to that question? <laughs> Why did it? Well, you you brought the song up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the, I mean, what as the, as the position, well, that, I mean, here's the thing, like it's the most butch Viggy, right. But it's not there. It's not there yet. I think the, the length, right. Um, the, it's seven minutes long and, uh, and the kind of a certain amount of aimlessness in the, like in the harmonic and, and lyrical, uh, component of the song kind of keeps it firmly in the, the, uh, the, the uh, what more dreamy or more um uh, more my bloody valentine camp rather than rather than pushing it over the line um into the into the poppier camp so it really is the kind of the it really is kind of a john the baptist uh john the baptist sort of uh sort of thing um to me uh another one like the the closest that this record has to an actual rock song is uh is sometimes Right. And it's for a couple of it's for a couple of reasons. Like one is the guitar, um, uh, the the like the acoustic guitar uh, that kind of keeps keeps a beat throughout the whole thing. Um, and another is the the lyrical content, which which is a, a more strophic. Uh, it's clearer what the um, uh, uh, you know, clearer what the what the verses are and it's clearer when they repeat. And there is a there's a, a way in which the 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 music rather than be or the lyrics rather than being kind of like a chant uh, kind of overlaid onto the uh, onto the um, the uh, dreamy the dreamy reverb and tremolo soaked uh, guitar sounds. Um, the lyrics kind of interact with the harmonic structures to create tension and release in a way that that doesn't happen in in the other songs. So so though it's not um, it's not really uh, garbagey. I feel like there are actually a couple of steps in the transition from. Um, a couple of steps uh, present on the record in the transition from the kind of the most bedroomy to a more a more kind of dancey uh, a, a more dancey sort of future. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the other song that kind of has that kind of connection outward, I also think is is the start of the album is only shallow, which for me, rather than kind of connecting to the kind of dancey and and garbagey place, I think is where I kind of feel that connection to the the smashing pumpkins place, huh. right? Um, and and it's that's especially in where you have this kind of um, there is like this big riff and and uh, the the um, right there that the sonic moment that starts the album is is a um, drum fill I believe on the snare and then um, right into this kind of kind of chiming guitar riff um, that kind of returns again and again and 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 that's something that, you know uh, that the, it's kind of you have this riff and then it kind of it actually has a almost elements of that um, that kind of loud soft loud soft that you kind of get in the um the uh, in the pixies and nirvana but right that you know it's the smashing pumpkins um i'm just kind of realizing this now as i'm talking this out um that branch of of the 90s is kind of um a, a reverse pixies right and that it's it's a it's loud soft rather than soft loud right um and so that there's a number of songs that um and artists uh, and and you know nirvana will will see this when we get there you know starts kind of it's it's you know soft versus loud choruses, um, but this is kind of um, is where this album starts is in a a kind of loud kind of intro or a loud bridge, um, and then kind of quiet core uh, quiet verses, and then kind of no choruses, right? Uh, and and that it's and, and it's just kind of it's loud soft loud soft, um, and and that that you know I, um, I you know I really think about. Um, you know, connects. I mean, especially to you know the earliest um, Smashing Pumpkins hits of today, right? Um, uh, today also kind of um, starts with the the big riff and then goes 
into um, the the much kind of more airy verses. And so that kind of, um, I mean, it's interesting that we're like, what is jumping out to us? And I guess it's because rather than it being lyrics per se, it's still what, what is kind of connecting to us is construction, right? And kind of um, that you, you notice variation when there are changes in the songs, right? Where there's either repetition or something that breaks the pattern. Um, and that's what like kind of d- that, that's what uh, marks, you know, one song off from any of the others is the pattern uh, in, in the, are the sonic patterns, right? That it's, it's weirdly kind of like in that way, like interpreting Morse code, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, is that the meeting, the, it's, it's all, yeah, it's, it's in the, it's in the move from silence to noise or noise to silence, whether it's a dot, whether it's a dot or a dash, I mean, it yeah. goes, it's all kind of in the start and the stop. And, and in this, like also what, uh, in, um, Oh God! What is it? Uh, touched is the is the kind of instrumental interlude, and then um, uh, to hear uh, to to uh, to hear knows when to who knows what uh, my my notes may not be may not be right uh has a has a isn't is al- no it is it is to hear knows when to hear um, oh yeah uh to the point of here knows knows when right um uh the uh the electronic beat kind of goes through the whole thing but then there's this kind of distorted guitar coda and then when you sleep starts and it's very abrupt um because it's uh right after the coda ends and there's there's no break i mean i think two things are important there one is that like there's no break there's no like pause between tracks right and and the other thing is uh that that dynamic is created by just kind of an abrupt change in 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 sonic texture and it it like it makes each section distinct and it also it creates an event right like where you have to where the ontology of it is now you're forced to deal with before the event and after uh after the event it's a mini sonic trauma and nothing will ever be the same yeah i mean that that's that is that's an interesting way to think of albums right as as a series of traumas <laughs> um and and what especially because these songs are loud and and you kind of sink into not loud but like long and kind of ha- each has its own texture then uh, it, it kind of, I mean, in that way, it is similar to like you know, eleven small naps, right? And and then you're woken from the nap and ushered into a new nap, um, and it, it is kind of it's a a nap journey. Um, and so in that way, it's right. So it's it's dream pop, but it's like this is that it's it's dreaming in the context of of power nap. It's power nap dream pop. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think that that is, uh, and, and, and so that's kind of an interesting way to contrast this to other kinds of, of dream pop. Um, well, I think that we now have, uh, have, have exhausted ourselves to the extent that we need to, um, to grab a power nap. Yeah. yeah it's time, uh, it's time for us each to go off into his or her own bedroom, put on the headphones and decide how they want to feel. Yeah. And, and just, and, and prop, prop those shoes up on the wall and just gaze right into them, uh, <laughs> looking for meaning. And so if you want to gaze into your into your shoes with us there are so many ways uh to to um send some noise uh into the void um that you can do that uh on twitter at tft podcast uh we're on facebook uh theory for turntables or you can go to the show notes at overthinkingit.com um share some memories impressions um of both uh prior exposure to this album i know uh, we've had we have a number of listeners um who were who, uh, who have been engaging with this music of 19 91 in a number of ways um and so those uh those stories are always a lot of fun to share uh, or if you're new to this album um share that impression and and what uh what y- you associate it with right write, um, a, write a little story in the comments about what the ideal setting to listen to loveless would be yeah exactly uh and 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 i imagine that there may be it'll be interesting to see whether there is convergence or divergence in the use cases uh in the hashtag vibes uh that we are uh that, that with which we're enjoying these albums um but uh in the meantime we'll we'll continue our march uh through 1991 um there's still uh quite a few monumental albums to come uh each one kind of uh quite different from this but i feel like this is also giving us a a kind of 
vocabulary and a te- touchstone that we're going to return to um, again and again, both uh, on our historical march um, and in our uh, contemporary albums. Um, so uh, keep listening to Loveless. Keep uh, enjoying the 1991 uh, nostalgia. Um, and until we meet you again next week, keep it real.